Was Jesus extra hard on the Pharisees? Are Pharisees basically the same as Sadducees? Were the Pharisees part of the crowd who put Jesus to death? The answer to all those questions is actually no. There are a lot of misconceptions about the Pharisees, which we're going to bring some clarity to on today's episode. Something else we'll discuss? Where do Pharisees even come from? You see them all over the New Testament, but they're never around in the Old Testament, so they must have sprung up somewhere between the Testaments. But why? You'll find all that out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a shiny brand new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a pastor and someone who watches PBS Kids. I watch PBS Kids because I'm a parent to a toddler. And when you become a parent, you're responsible for another human's life. And so you have to start doing a lot of things that you don't want to do. You have to wake up before you want to. You have to change diapers. You learn to tolerate more noise and chaos. You make trips in the middle of the night to the Walmart pharmacy. Oh, and you start watching PBS Kids. And you learn all the same theme songs. One of the cartoons on PBS Kids, it's called Martha Speaks. And it's a show about a talking dog. And the theme song lays out the origin story of this dog. And I'm not kidding you about what I'm about to say. This cartoon comes on. And it it shows how this dog was eating some alphabet soup, but the letters, they somehow went up to the dog's brain instead of down into the dog's stomach. And now the dog can talk. And I'm like, every other kid's show that I've seen, it it has talking animals, and I've just never even questioned it. You know, I just thought, okay, it's a kid's show. The animals talk. (laughs) I I don't need an explanation for that. A purple prehistoric dinosaur. Boots the Mexican monkey. The, the Daniel Tiger from Mr. Rogers. They can all speak fluent English. I have no problem with that. Martha Speaks is the first kids show that I've ever seen that thought that it needed to have some kind of origin story for why the animal can talk. And so that got me to thinking, what would the origin stories look like for the other preschool kids shows? So here we go. In the market crash of 2008, Robert lost everything and his life fell apart. He couldn't put his job back together. He couldn't put his marriage back together. But could he put a house together? He needs your help. Coming this fall, Bob the Builder. Rejected by the lad that created him and forced to grow up on the street, he vowed revenge. Living amongst his fellow mutants in the slums, he decided to create a following so large that no one would dare to stop him again. There's nothing like him in this world, because this isn't your world. It's Elmo's world. La 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 la, la 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 la, Elmo's world. A mystery writer who couldn't sell a book to make ends meet. His wife left him with nothing but the house and the dog. His only human contact anymore is the daily arrival of the mailman, Every day he spirals further into madness, talking to inanimate objects, hallucinating about his paintings, trying to figure out the answers to life's mysteries. He's got the blues, and he can't get a clue. Blues, 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 blues. Blues, 
Not all monsters live under your bed. Not all monsters have teeth and claws. Not all monsters want to gobble up you. But that's never stopped him from taking away what's most precious to you in this world. This October, beware. The Cookie Monster. Well, I think we all love a good origin story. And if you're a New Testament reader, you need an origin story for the Pharisees. Because like I said before, the Pharisees, they aren't mentioned in the Old Testament. They weren't around back then. But sometime in the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, the Pharisees apparently started to be a thing. Because you open up the Gospels and they're all over the place. So this isn't an Old Testament office, yet they have a prominent place in the religious life of the first century Jews. So let's talk about them today, because in my opinion, about 95% of Christians have misunderstandings and misconceptions about what the Pharisees actually were. And as always with this show, I want God's Word to make more sense to you after every episode. So grab your Bible, because I've got one more origin story for you today, the origin of the Pharisees. So let me tell you how today's lesson is going to work. I've divided it into three parts, and then I've put some closing thoughts at the end. But since we're talking about a historical topic, I've decided to talk about the Pharisees through three different eras where they show up. And so I'm dividing this lesson into parts that are called, part one is the Pharisees between the Testaments, then two, the Pharisees during the Gospels, and then three, the Pharisees in the book of Acts. So we're going to talk about three different periods of time to give you the whole story of the Pharisees, basically. So we're going to be looking at the Pharisees before Jesus, and then the Pharisees during Jesus, and then the Pharisees after Jesus. All right? So let's start with the first part. Let's talk about what the Pharisees actually were, where they came from. And they come on the scene a few hundred years after the Babylonian captivity. You need to understand about the Babylonian captivity, you know, if you don't, because this is a massive historical event in the Bible. So many books in the Old Testament are centered around this. If you don't know the history of the Babylonian captivity, I'm just saying this is something you need to get a feel for if you're going to understand a large chunk of the Bible. Uh, Lots of books are about it. One of them is Ezekiel. That's a book that we've been studying on this podcast. And he was a prophet during the time that Israel went into captivity. And the Jews went into captivity because Babylon conquered them. But as Ezekiel and many other prophets pointed out, the real reason— is that God was punishing Israel because of Israel's rebellion to God. They were breaking God's law for for many, many years, engaging in idolatry. So the Jews eventually got released to go home, and they eventually rebuilt Jerusalem, and, and they resettled in the land. They built houses. They restarted their society. They resumed their religious observance, and they became more devoted to God than they used to be. And some of the Jews, they started saying, how do we keep ourselves from going through something like that again? What can we do to make sure that Israel never get so rebellious to God like that anymore that that he punishes us. So a group of Jews decided that the way to avoid God's wrath was to devote themselves to God's law in an extreme way, to take every command that God had and just to really go hard after it. And it started with the food. They had these religious or these uh, ritual purity laws in the Old Testament for the food, uh, for how it was to be eaten in the temple. Then these extra devoted Jews came along and they decided They were going to start following those laws for all of their food, not just the temple food. 
and and they weren't even priests who were doing this. This is just regular Jews who just wanted to go the extra mile on following God's law, and they did this in the hope that God would never punish them again, like the Israelites of the past had been punished. So these Jews called themselves Perush, and that's a Hebrew word that I'm probably not saying right, but it's a Hebrew word that means the separated. And God had wanted the Jews to be separate, you know, to not be like the nations around them, but these Jews, the Perush, they were the separated of the separated. They were the extra pious, extra devout Jews. And they accomplished this by adding on a whole bunch of laws that weren't really there in the first place. Um, and just taking any law that God had and just pushing it to an extreme. And so again, the Pharisees were not the priests. This is another misconception a lot of people have. They think that the Pharisees were like the priests, um, but only the Levites could be priests. But when it came to being a Pharisee, anybody could be a Pharisee. Anybody who wanted to adopt their strict lifestyle could do so. So we first see the Pharisees show up in about 150 to 200 BC. And this was, this, that's what Josephus reported. He was a Jewish historian who, he recorded a lot of helpful history um, for us from back around that time. Uh, and so the Pharisees show up about 150 years, maybe 200 years before Jesus. That's when they first started showing up. And this was after the Old Testament had finished being written. You know, the last book of the Old Testament is, is Malachi. And it's there, it's there at the end for a reason, because that was like the last book written chronologically. And that was about 400 years before Jesus. So the Pharisees showed up sometime after that, about 150 to 200 BC. And um, now when they first showed up, I mean, they were the separated of the separated. Like I said, they were outsiders even in the Jewish community. So they didn't have a lot of credibility. They were just kind of seen as weirdos because they were so extremist about God's law. It wasn't yet like how you see in the New Testament where they're seen as the most you know, devoted followers of God in the community. When they first showed up, everyone just thought they were weird. Uh, about 130 BC, the Jewish high priest at that time was a man named John Hyrcanus. I have no idea how to say his name correctly. I think I've got John right, <laughs> but his last name is Hyrcanus, Okay. And he was this high priest who went a little nuts himself. He declared himself priest and king. And that offended many of the Jews, and especially the Pharisees. And, the, and they criticized him for it. They rejected him. And so when he did that, um, and, they, and they rejected him, John Hyrcanus and his son Alexander, they tried to wipe the Pharisees out. It, it, it is said that Alexander crucified 800 Pharisees. However, on his deathbed, and by this point, it was around 76 BC. Alexander told those who came after him on his deathbed, he said to stop persecuting the Pharisees. He said it was time to listen to what they had to say, probably because he and his dad had spent their whole lives basically trying to wipe the Pharisees out, and they never quite had done it. Um, the Pharisees kind of remained strong, you know, kind of like uh, you try to persecute any religious group, and a lot of times they, you know, it makes them stronger. That happened with Christianity when Christianity was getting started and Rome went after the Christians. So um, Alexander on his deathbed, he said, you know what, let's, let's start, let's stop trying to kill the Pharisees. Let's listen to what they have to say. And then he died. But like I said, that was about 76 years before Jesus. And after that, the number of Pharisees really started to grow because now they got credibility in the community. And so for those 76 years before Jesus was born, the number of Pharisees is estimated, it grew, it grew to about 6,000 in the area. By the time that Jesus was born, the Pharisees had grown to about 6,000 in, in number. 
And they they had kind of a credibility at this point as the morality police. Uh, they tried to keep everyone following God's law, not just they themselves, but they they tried to get everyone on board with as much as they could to follow God's laws and also the extra laws that they kept putting on top of God's laws. And they functioned kind of like, I mean, honestly, more like pastors than anything. If you were to find like a modern equivalent, they're just basically the pastors of that time. Um, the priests had kind of stopped being the most credible. They A lot of the priests became Sadducees. And we, we might talk about Sadducees sometime because that's a totally different subject matter. Um, but like I said, the priests were not the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees kind of took control. They took the lead as the religious authorities of their day. Um, they had people regularly gather to hear a reading of the Bible, which is, was only the Old Testament at that time. And then the Pharisees would give an explanation of how it applied in modern times. And that's basically what a sermon is today. They just basically preach sermons. And they were very influential among the people. And so by the time of Jesus, they were no longer an extremist cult. They were kind of seen as the super Jews. Um, so today, when we say a Christian is too strict or has too many rules or, or is too judgmental, we call them a Pharisee and we mean it as an insult. But back then, I mean, to be called a Pharisee, that wasn't an insult. That was an honor. But here's a question. Was Jesus extra hard on the Pharisees? Like, did the Pharisees draw more of his ire than the other people groups? I would not say so. And so we'll go into our next section here, and, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Pharisees during the time of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels. And before I do, I want to break in and say something here, um, just about my my recording atmosphere today. Because uh, uh, the past several episodes, I've actually been recording them from a basement, literally sitting at a pool table next to an, an air conditioner. You know, that's been a little interesting. And, and so today, I actually, we, my wife and I, and we took our kid, we went on a little trip to visit uh, my dad, and I'm at the house where I grew up, and I'm just kind of sitting out here on the back porch on a farm. So that's what I'm looking at right now, and I'm just letting you know <laughs> there's there's an air conditioner unit here, so you might hear that buzzing. I won't know till I'm finished recording, like, how much of the audio of what I'm saying, how much of it is getting picked up, you know, and, and what you're hearing, but you'll probably hear some some birds, and you might hear a cow moo here or there. And uh, there was a giant dog who came over and, and tried to join the podcast today, but I, I shooed her off because I don't, I don't think you wanted to hear a, a dog licking the microphone. So, um, but anyway, I, I'll, I, I'm going to cut that part out. But uh, just wanted to let you know, if you're kind of visualizing or like wondering what, if you're wondering like, what am I hearing right now? Uh, that's, that's where I am. And so this is just what you're getting the podcast from today. So, okay, let me get back into it. Part two, the Pharisees during the time of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. So the Pharisees are seen as the arch enemies of Jesus because so often he got into arguments with them. But what I want to show today is that that's really a gross oversimplification. Jesus was not generally angry with them. Like they weren't particularly under his skin. I would say Jesus actually spent a great deal of time in outreach to the Pharisees. In fact, I would say, I think we see Jesus devoting more time to reaching and relating to the Pharisees than what he spent on anyone else. You know, the Gospels will, will sometimes just casually mention that Jesus would be eating a meal with the Pharisees, like this was just something he normally did. Luke 7, 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So, you know, you just see there that it was kind of a normal thing for Jesus to just go hang out with the Pharisee. That wasn't a hardship for him. Um, but that said, 
Jesus often intentionally provoked the Pharisees. One of his favorite ways to do this was by healing on the Sabbath. Okay, remember, there's six other days in the week. But sometimes Jesus deliberately waited to do it specifically on the Sabbath. Now, I want you to think about why Jesus would do this. Okay, like why would he do this? Why would he intentionally provoke the Pharisees? Did he just want to make them mad? I mean, just ask yourself, is that the kind of guy Jesus was? He just wanted to make people angry with him. I would say no. I think what Jesus wanted to do was help the Pharisees to get saved. He wanted the same thing for them that he did for everyone else. Think about God's character, okay? Think about the character of God. He wants people to get saved. He wants people to go to heaven. So he did those things on the Sabbath, and that broke the Pharisees' silly rules. But it didn't violate God's law. And that's what he was trying to show them. He wanted them to get saved, and that's why he provoked them. I mean, that's what it means to, pro to provoke someone. It doesn't actually just mean to make them angry. It can often mean to stimulate their, their thinking. And he was provoking them. He was trying to, like, kind of goad them. I don't think he necessarily wanted them to be angry. He just wanted to, them to see things in a new way, bring some clarity to them, spiritual clarity. Luke eleven thirty seven and 38. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Once again right there, Jesus was trying to provoke discussion with them. He knew they cared about following God's law, and he knew that they were in error, but I would say that they erred in the right direction. You know, unlike the Israel of days past, which didn't seem to care all that much about how well they followed God's law, the Pharisees were going overboard on following it. And so doing that, it caused them to focus on the wrong things and emphasize the wrong things whenever it came to morality. But I think Jesus also just appreciates their zeal, and he just wanted to, to reorient their zeal into the right direction. And he was largely successful in that, as we are going to see later. If you remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He, he came to Jesus by night, and this is told in John 3. And, but that's back at the start of Jesus' ministry. You know, when it was, when it was not um, socially acceptable for a Pharisee to be talking with Jesus. That's why he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. But by the time you get to the end of Jesus's ministry, the Pharisees are openly talking with him. It's not like, it's not a social faux pas anymore. It's, it's totally cool just to have him over for dinner. So here's what I would say you should think about the Pharisees. At the beginning of Jesus's ministry, they were usually antagonistic to Jesus, but toward the end of his ministry, they were on pretty good terms. Like Luke 14, 1. One Sabbath, when he went in to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And then you have Luke 13, 31. And that's also pretty illuminating. It says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, that's not very antagonistic. That's actually being pretty hospitable. <laughs> they're, they're warning Jesus of where to go so that he doesn't get killed. You know, that's being friendly, if you ask me. And, and now, were there some bad Pharisees who were so hard-hearted that they provoked some of Jesus's wrath? Totally. Matthew 23, that's the angriest you've ever seen Jesus. And most of that anger is directed at the Pharisees. But people seem to take the Matthew 23 statements that Jesus made, and they think it describes his attitude in general toward the Pharisees. But if you look, the number of friendly interactions with the Pharisees, they outweigh the negative ones. And again, they get more and more friendly the more and more they get to know each other. You know, you sometimes hear statements like this. You know, Jesus always got along with the outsiders. It was the Pharisees. 
and the religious people that he had a problem with. You know, I've heard non-believers say that. I've heard Christians say that. I've heard pastors say that. It's flat out wrong. You know, people say this because they kind of want to demonize following the Bible too much. They want to act like if you're too interested in being a good person, that you're one of those religious people and, and that Jesus wouldn't have liked you very much. And it's ridiculous. I, I cringe when I hear people say it. It's so ignorant and shallow. Like, let's go back to Luke 13. This is the verse I was just reading a moment ago. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finished my course. So look at how they warned Jesus about Herod. And then Jesus calls Herod a fox, <laughs> meaning in a negative way right there. Okay. Does that sound like Jesus just despised the ultra-religious Pharisees and yet he loved the sinners like Herod? No, absolutely not. Um, so when people say, I mean, Jesus loved everybody, but you know, he didn't, he didn't favor the non-religious people and just have a chip on his shoulder about the religious people. You know, it wasn't like that at all. So when people say things like that, they're just being ignorant. And was Jesus's problem with the Pharisees that they were just too strict, that they were following God's law too much? I would not necessarily say that. I, I think Jesus would extensively apply God's law as well. Listen to this verse, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That was Jesus speaking right there. So he basically took a command in the Old Testament about murder, and he like kind of did what the Pharisees do. Like he applied it way more extensively than what it originally said on paper. Now, was that wrong? Well, I, I mean, Jesus is doing it, so I'm not going to say it was wrong. I think he was just taking principles from God's law and applying them on a broader basis. That's not to say the Pharisees didn't go overboard sometimes. I'm just saying it's not necessarily a bad thing to think about how God's law applies in lots of different situations. Listen to what Jesus said in, in the same chapter, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if Jesus hadn't said that first, and if you just heard me saying that, you'd probably call me a Pharisee. <laughs> you'd say I'm trying to be the morality police on what people are thinking, that I'm being too judgmental, that I'm going overboard on God's law. But again, that's a quote from Jesus. So I don't think that Jesus was necessarily mad at the Pharisees because they followed God's law too much. It seems more that his issue was that they had a problem of priorities, that they cared more about what was on the outside than what was on the inside. So like, that's why in the, in the angry chapter I mentioned before, Matthew 23, Jesus said this in verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. We actually just talked about whitewashing in the previous lesson, uh, the Ezekiel lesson. Uh, whenever you spread whitewash over something, you're trying to make it look nice on the outside, make it look new and clean, even if it might be deteriorating on the inside. And Jesus uses that same metaphor here, talking about the Pharisees, that they should have been more interested in what's on the inside than on the outside. So priorities. Matthew 23 starts off in verses 1 through 3. 
Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. So I just wanted, I want you to notice something from those verses. Jesus affirmed the authority of the Pharisees. He said you should listen to them. He said they sit on Moses' seat, do and observe whatever they tell you. That, I mean, Jesus said that. He said, do, listen to what they say. He said, don't do what they do because they only care how you look on the outside. But, you know, God cares about the heart. And then there's all the debates that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And you might say, what was that all about? You know, was that disrespectful of the Pharisees to question Jesus and try to trap him all the time? Well, believe it or not, that was actually a sign of respect in their culture because it means that they saw Jesus as an intellectual and coming up with little riddles to try and trap someone, that was a game that the, fair, that the, uh, that the scholars and the great thinkers, that they would do with each other. The, the Pharisees and, and all the Jews of that time, they had a saying, without debate, there is no learning. Uh, in fact, let me share a quote here from a book. And this, is, this book's been really helpful to me in understanding first century customs. It's called Windows into the Bible. It's by Mark Turnage and Logion Press. And uh, it's a great book. Let, let me read this quote from it. It was common within Jewish circles of the first century for non-local or up-and-coming sages to be publicly questioned in order to determine their level of expertise. If the sage answered well, he earned a respected reputation. At various points within the Gospels, we find Pharisees and scribes asking Jesus public questions in order to test him. In light of the cultural norm of posing difficult questions to sages, we should not read the motivation of Jesus' questioners as wicked or antagonistic. Rather, it seems that they sought to see whether this up-and-coming Galilean sage knew what he was talking about. So that's the end of the quote from that book. Again, it's called Windows into the Bible. But here's what it's saying. When they came to Jesus and asked him questions, you know, I'm sure some of them had bad motivations, but we shouldn't just always read it as malicious. You know, if there's one thing I hope you've learned so far, it's that we just can't make blanket statements about the Pharisees because it, actually they're way too diverse in their attitudes towards Jesus to just try to lump them all together especially when you're using them as a negative example and like calling someone a Pharisee, you know, as we'll see, most of the time that was actually a good thing. So let me say this again. By the time we get to the end of Jesus's ministry, the Pharisees were largely on his side. Here's a key point that I, I think 95% of Christians don't realize this. The Pharisees were not a part of the group that put Jesus to death. I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about the Pharisees. Like if you just if you ask just about any Bible reader, if the Pharisees put Jesus to death, they'd actually probably say yes. And yet, all four Gospels attest that it was the Sadducees and the priests who put Jesus to death, not the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not in the Sanhedrin, which is what turned Jesus over to the Romans and re requested his uh, ex execution. Now, were there probably some Pharisees who wanted Jesus dead? I'm sure there were, but they weren't of the group that actually killed Jesus. And so I might have to do an episode sometime about the Sadducees. Um, so let me know if you want that. But I don't think there's a single Sadducee mentioned as becoming a follower of Christ. But most of the Pharisees that we read about were actually pro-Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts, they were the good guys. That brings us to our third section today, the Pharisees in the book of Acts. So this last part will just deal with the Pharisees after Jesus, after the cross. And as I said, they're, they're good guys in Acts. And you're probably thinking, wait, wait, wait. 
Weren't they the ones getting the apostles arrested all the time because they were speaking about Jesus? That would actually be wrong. That was, again, the Sadducees. And when the Sadducees tried to pull that stuff, the Pharisees would actually defend the apostles. We only see Pharisees mentioned four or five times in the book of Acts. So let's look at all those stories. And one of those times is in Acts 5. This is one of those times that the apostles are getting arrested for talking about Jesus. So like, we'll start at verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Okay, and then we skip down to verses 33 and 34. This is from Acts 5. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then as the story goes on, Gamaliel gets the apostles off the hook and basically, you know, saves them, gets them out of jail, maybe saves their lives. So there's a Pharisee saving the apostles in, in Acts 5. Then let's also look at Acts 23, and this is whenever Paul is on trial. He's on trial for, um, you know, a lot of the last chapters of Acts, Paul is on trial through there. But there's this one moment that you read about in Acts 23, 6 through 9. And and if you hear the wind picking up out here, you might hear some walnuts falling, <laughs> maybe hitting the roof above me. So that's just the <laughs> nature sound effects for you today. Okay. So um, Paul's on trial in Acts 23. And so in verses 6 through 9, Paul is speaking about being a Pharisee, and he's not ashamed of it at all. But look at verse 9. It says, Then a clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? So here we see Paul's on trial, and there's the Pharisees right there standing up and defending Paul. They say there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. Uh, and, and I'll add in another, another note here from Josephus, and we mentioned him before, the Jewish historian of that time. He mentions that the Pharisees also defended James, the brother of Jesus, and that they petitioned the Roman governor, governor of Syria to, um, to not put him to death. So after the cross, the Pharisees are the good guys. So I, I know saying this is kind of messing with some of your heads today. <laughs> Most people just assume that the Pharisees are basically the villains of the New Testament. Um, but, but they're honestly not. That's not a biblical point of view. So remember that. The next time you're tempted to call someone a Pharisee, okay, just remember that's mostly a compliment. And that's a point that Paul makes too in Acts 26.5. Paul identifies himself as a Pharisee. He said, they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And then in Acts 15, there's a big fight among the Christians, and it's about how much of the Old Testament law that they still need to follow. And so, of course, the Pharisees, they get right in on that because that's their, that's their big thing. It says in Acts 15, 5, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we're not going to get into that whole debate today. I just want you to notice this, that in that verse, from, and from what Paul said right before, that you can be a Pharisee and be a Christian. So to be a Pharisee, that's not some blanket term for the ultra-religious people who were the enemies of Jesus. In Acts, the small handful of times the Pharisees are even mentioned, they're positive. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap 
and some personal applications. And again, if you have a question on this chapter, just leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future if you want to listen on the Sadducees, um, who I think I would argue that they are better ca- uh, candidates for villains of the New Testament, <laughs> if we have to name someone as that. So, you know, if you want to do that, just let me know what you'd like to hear. The next time on this podcast, we are going to continue into Ezekiel 14. And we had a little bit of discussion today about the difference in externalities and the heart, and that God cares most about the heart. So Ezekiel 14 actually deals with that issue as it relates to idolatry. So we'll be learning about idols of the heart on that next lesson. But today, just to recap, we talked about the Pharisees in three eras, where they started, which was the intertestamental period. That's what we call the 400 years between the testaments, between Malachi and Matthew. We, we call that the intertestamental period. So that was the first part, the Pharisees before Jesus. Then we talked about the Pharisees during the time of Jesus, and then the Pharisees after the time of Jesus, and that was the book of Acts and beyond. And, and as I said, they began as a sect of Jews who were intent on not letting Israel fall back into sin, which previously that had led to the Babylonian captivity. And they had good intentions, but they went a bit extreme. They added rules to scripture. They focused on the lesser aspects of the law at the expense of the more important aspects. And they cared more about looking good on the outside than on the inside. And those are all very, very easy traps for for any Christian, for any follower of God to fall into. And then at the time of Jesus, early on, there many Pharisees were skeptical of him. They even suspicious and, and angry with Jesus and the claims that he made. But let's just look at it from their perspective. Jesus was coming around claiming to be God. And that was a blasphemous thing to say. I mean, the only reason Jesus could get away with it was that Jesus actually was God. (laughs) So it's quite easy to understand why the Pharisees were skeptical of him. But the thing that got in the way of them accepting Jesus at the start was that Jesus was breaking their rules, which they thought were God's rules. But in reality, it was from them misunderstanding God's rules and adding so many of their own in there. And then they couldn't keep straight whose rules were whose. You know, things like not healing on the Sabbath. So they took the command against working on the Sabbath and they took it to such an unhealthy extreme that they couldn't stand it if, if Jesus and his disciples, if they even just picked some grain to eat on the Sabbath. Like they thought the disciples were sinning if they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, washing your hands before you eat, that's a good practice, but it's not a command of God. And so it took some time for the Pharisees to just untangle all that. But for the most part, they did. The Pharisees regularly dined with Jesus. They warned Jesus whenever he was in danger. They engaged in civil debate with him, and that was a sign of respect in their culture. And as I said, the Pharisees were not responsible for putting Jesus to death. And in the book of Acts, the Pharisees are only mentioned a handful of times, but it's always in a positive way. So I don't think it's fair that they have such a bad reputation among Christians. Like, I don't think it's accurate at all to say that Jesus was more comfortable hanging out with the sinners than the religious people of his day. I think the people saying that, they often just have negative feelings of their own toward religious people. And so they try to put that on Jesus as well. But it's not true. We have a few stories of Jesus sharing meals with sinners. But I'd say there's a lot more stories of Jesus sharing meals with Pharisees and going to their houses and seem to be on friendly terms with many of them. And as I said before, I don't think there was any specific group that we see Jesus doing more outreach to 
more than the Pharisees. And don't forget, it's actually not bad to be a Pharisee. They were generally zealous for God and they were receptive of Jesus's message. But let's just remember a few things. Let, I think three things here. Be careful about making extra rules for yourself in order to maintain purity. And it's not that having extra guidelines to protect yourself are bad. I think we all have personal rules. We all have kind of a personal code and we try not to violate it because we want to keep ourselves pure. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the danger comes in when we confuse our personal code with God's actual rules. And it gets worse whenever we take our personal code and we try to put that on other people. Well, that's wrong. In Matthew 23, 4, Jesus got onto the Pharisees about this. It's okay to add rules, but be careful not to confuse what are your rules and what are God's rules, and especially to burden other people with that. Another recurring element that the Pharisees got wrong is that they would focus on the lesser things at the expense of the greater things in the law. And notice I didn't say that they focused on the wrong things in the law, because there are no wrong things in the law. But there are lesser and greater things. And so we have to remember to keep the greater things in mind. An example that Jesus used was that the Pharisees remembered to tithe, but they neglected to care for their elderly parents. And Jesus said they should have done the former without neglecting the latter, meaning to still tithe, but it's more important to take care of your parents. So don't leave your parents to starve and go around saying, well, at least I paid my tithe. Because, you know, when you do that, Jesus says your priorities are out of whack. And then finally, uh, the Pharisees, they became more interested in looking good on the outside than having true purity on the inside. In Luke 20, Jesus talked about beware of those who love the long robes and, and the greetings in the marketplaces and make long prayers for a pretense. And he didn't say the Pharisees specifically there. I, I think it probably applied to them. And this was the problem that bothers me the most about the church. So I'm not picking on any particular denomination or type of church here. Because in my life, all across America, churches big and small, like mega churches and country churches, they all have this one problem. Everybody wants to come to church and put their best image out there. Like it's all about image. They just come to church like nothing is wrong, even if in reality, their life is falling apart. And, and I'd say this too, like after a decade, nearly a decade involved in church leadership, I can tell you by the time you learn about a problem going on in a, in a congregant's life, like a major problem, by the time you learn about it, it's usually too late to even do anything to help. Like even people with high up positions in a church, um, like people in church leadership, they, they might have a home life that's a mess, a marriage in trouble, strained relationships with their kids. But still, the last thing that they want is for a pastor to know about it. Because we seem to think it's all about image. So listen, I'm not saying you always need to come to church and just make yourself the center of attention. Okay, that's not what I'm telling you to do. What I do think we need to be more willing to do is talk to our pastors or our church leadership to, to help us whenever we're having problems and, and to let them help you sort it out because that's why God put them in your life. So don't be afraid to ask for help. And another thing I've learned as a pastor is that people have this idea that if the pastor thinks they're doing good, then God must think they're doing good. That if they have the pastor's approval, then that must translate into God's approval. And that's just silly. A pastor is a human being. And a pastor can be fooled. And you shouldn't care what your pastor thinks of you nearly as much as what God thinks. So please don't fall into that trap with your pastor either, because man looks on the outward appearance because that's all that he can see. 
but God looks on the heart. And this was a lesson the Pharisees forgot and a lesson that I think all church people sometimes forget. And this is why the Pharisees got such a bad reputation, a much worse reputation than they deserve in my opinion, because we can all be more like the Pharisees than we want to admit. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that if you parent a three-year-old, this isn't your world anymore. It's Elmo's world.